Well, good morning. Well, a, uh, a recent cover of Newsweek had a feature article, the title on the front of it just simply said, follow Jesus and forget the church. This is what it looked like right here. Follow Jesus, but forget the church. Sadly, this is the sentiment of many people. It's popular today to talk about how people like Jesus, but they want nothing to do with this church. I hear this often with people I engage with in my community, with uh, friends, neighbors, the waiters and waitresses I engage with when I invite them to come to church. Well, hey, I'm into the Jesus thing. He's okay. I like Jesus. I just don't want anything to do with, with church. It's popular to say that, hey, I'm spiritual, but not really religious. And tragically, that's not only true of how many people feel out there, according to Lifeway Publishers, a recent survey they did, it is true of how many people feel in here. Surveying those who identify as Christians, Lifeway found that most people do not believe they need the church in order to grow spiritually. 48% of the people they surveyed agreed with this statement. I intentionally spend time with other believers in order to help them grow in their faith. I intentionally spend time with other believers in order to help them grow in their faith. Only 48% said they agree with that. 65% of the people they surveyed agreed with this statement. I can walk with God without the help of other believers. 65% are basically saying, hey, I've got this figured out. I can do it alone. I don't need God's church. I don't need the help of other people. It's just me and Jesus. The problem is we are not the best judge of what is good for us. Scriptures even state that, right? In Proverbs chapter 16, there's a way which seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. We all know this to be true. We're not the best judge of what's good for us. Don't believe me? Just ask your kids if they want donuts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day this week. And of course they'll sign up for that. The problem is, it's just not good for them. And we don't outgrow that. The Bible teaches us that our heart is deceitful. It's deceptive. We're not the best judge. We need others. We need the church. The church is a means of God's grace. We sadly, we live in an individualistic, consumer-minded culture. That's just the truth. We are quick to better deal other people because we experience what my kids taught me is FOMO. The fear of missing out, for those of you who don't know what that means. We view ourselves as owners rather than stewards of the money entrusted to us. That's my money. Not what the Bible says is the gift of God that we are to steward. No, it's mine. We're able to custom order anything we want. Just consider what it takes to get through the line at Starbucks every morning. You stand behind that joker who orders something with 20 different peculiar items in his coffee? I'm like, come on, man, just order black. 
right? They should have a line for all the special snowflakes and then they should have a line for all the people who just want jet fuel. Thank you, thank you. Now you know my pain. We have been told that the customer is always right and we believe it. We see ourselves as the customers. Life is a grand department store and we are right. Tragically, gang, this mindset impacts the way in which we view the church and we have a problem. In this room, the church, we have a problem. We judge a church based on several factors. Let's just be honest. The entertainment value of its teaching, the quality of its worship music, the usefulness of its weekly programs. Right? Just, just consider how your typical conversation goes at brunch following church. I've been at the table before, right? He was a little long today. Too many stories. Not enough stories, not enough Bible, too much Bible, hard to follow, too simple, needs more meat, too hot in there, too cold in there, music's too loud. I can't hear other people sing, part too far away. Coffee's too hot, too small a cup. <laughs> they made me sit where I didn't wanna sit, had to move in, I get it. That's true, tell me I'm not telling the truth, come on. We think of joining the church like we think of joining a club. We evaluate the perks, the conveniences, the privileges, the programs. We are the consumers. And we certainly bristle at any notion of submitting to the church's leadership or being accountable to one another. That just seems crazy. Who are you? Who are you to tell me how I should live my life? Right? Don't, you can't judge me. Or as my kids used to say, you're not the boss of me. You don't have to boss at me, right? We are a proud, self-sufficient people. We revel in our self-autonomy. And we resent the admonishment of others. That's just true. And I think you know it. And I'm here to raise my hand and tell you that's a problem. I'm gonna show you today and talk to you about what the church is. And I wanna start by telling you that the, that the church is a people. And I'm gonna argue that, mark this, if you miss anything, just don't miss this main point. I want it etched in your mind. You will never experience all that God intends for you apart from his church. That's gonna be what I'm gonna argue throughout this message. And I'm gonna make a case for that biblically. You will never experience all that the Lord intends for you apart from his church. It's very countercultural. According to this survey, 50% of you don't believe me, and I hope to change your mind. Because then I'm gonna call you to commit to a local church where membership matters. So I wanna start with this the church is a people. We've got to get out of our mind that the church is a building, it's a program, it's a service, it's, a, it's an address, it's a denomination, it's a club. That's not what the church is biblically. 
The word church literally means those who are called out. Called out ones. We are a people who have been called out of bondage by God's transforming grace. That's who we are. If you wanna know who the church is, just turn to 1 Peter chapter two. Read verses nine through 11. But you, church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. You are a people who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter goes on to say, beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as exiles. Implication meaning this is not your home. As those who have been redeemed, chosen by God, called out by God, you are an exile in this world. You're an alien, you're a stranger. There should be something different about you. The way you live and relate to one another. He says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now, I want so much, I wanna take so much time for this. This message could be a whole series. I'm gonna make a point really quickly. All right, and, and when the Bible speaks of the church, when theologians speaks of the church, it is true, there, there's two ways which we talk about the church. We talk about the universal church, and the universal church includes all of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their one and only savior. Across every tribe, every tongue, every continent, from the time of Pentecost, God's people, God's church, have been called out and known by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The, 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 the church, the universal church, includes all of the redeemed. But there is also a local church. And I'd love to get into the history of this and where this comes from. This is not unique to me. But it was certainly solidified during the time of the Reformation. If you want to know the marks of a healthy church, a healthy church healthy local church, it includes at least four things. And the first one is the faithful proclamation and submission to the word of God. You wanna know where God's people are? You wanna know where God's church is? You will find the faithful preaching and submission to the word of God. If you don't hear that, if you don't see that, it may be a club, it may be a cult, it's just not God's people. The second characteristic of a healthy church is the practice of baptism and the Lord's Supper. The, the baptism and the Lord's Supper aren't just empty exercises we go through. Those who are baptized, that's, that is a symbolic entrance into the family of God. It marks our journey into the family of God, where we are identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, publicly proclaiming. It's our first step of obedience. And if you're a believer and you have not been baptized, that's a step you need to take. It's a step you're commanded to take. The Lord's Supper is where we gather as the family of God and remind ourselves of God's provision, where we look back at what Christ has done for us, we examine our hearts, and we anticipate his return. Where you see a healthy church, you'll see the practice of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Where you see a healthy church, you'll see the establishment of godly leaders, elders over the church. 
That's why Paul said, hey, first appoint elders. You'll see a healthy leadership structure, men who lead the church according to biblical qualifications. And you will see the care and correction of its members. Those are the four marks of a healthy church that the reformers and others just continue to hammer home. You wanna know where the church is, you will see these four things. Apart from those things, you better question whether or not you have a healthy church. The church, gang, is God's plan A to change the world. It's not plan B. It truly is the hope of the world. Use the, the language of the Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying. Is, it's, we are to be salt and light in a world that is dark and devoid of any meaning or taste apart from Christ. There's no substitute for the local church. You can go to your neighborhood Bible studies. You can go to your favorite parachurch ministry. You can watch church online. You can listen to a podcast. I get it. I benefit from all of those all the time. They're great supplements to your faith, but they are no substitute to living life within the local church, submitting to, being accountable to, contributing in, supporting within the local church. Those are great supplements, but they're no substitute. They're like cliff bars. You ever had a cliff bar? are awesome when you're hungry and you need something quick, you don't want to eat a Cliff Bar every day at every meal. Trust me. Here's what I want you to hear me say, gang, is that you will never experience all that the Lord intends for you apart from his church. I'm going to give you four metaphors, biblical metaphors that you'll find within scripture to describe the church. Again, I'm trying to change your way of thinking. So that if Lifeway were to ask you, hey, what do you think? You would understand what scripture would call you to. That when you see Newsweek, you sit there and you go, hey, that may sell a magazine. I just don't buy that. Because it's so unbiblical. The first metaphor is this. That God uses to describe his people. He says the church is a family. Church is a family. In 1 Timothy 3, among many places, but in 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15, he says, I hope to come to you soon. This is Paul writing to Timothy. I hope to come to you soon. I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. It's just another word for the, in the family of God, which is the church. The household of God, the family of God is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. I love that language, a pillar and buttress of the truth. You go to the church, the family of God, to learn what is true. My implication in what scripture teaches is that the Lord is our father. And we enter into this family gang, not by birth, not by what we give, not, not by playing church and just showing up on Sundays. That's not how we enter into the church, by entering into a building. We enter into the family of God. Entrance into the family of God is marked by repentance. Recognizing that we have all sinned and fallen short of his standard of perfection. 
We bring nothing to the cross except sin and resistance. But we recognize, Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't tell us to clean up our lives and have behavior modification, right? Walk straight, be moral people. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He begins the Sermon on the Mount. Those who recognize they're bankrupt before God, that we don't bring him our resume, but we come and we recognize that we're a sinful people. We rebelled against his will. We need his transforming grace. The Bible assures us that if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, then we're gonna be saved. We acknowledge the fact that we can't earn it, but we receive the grace of God. Grace is just simply God's unmerited favor. And when you receive that because you believe that Jesus is who he is, that he paid the penalty on the cross for you, that he died, that he was buried, that he was resurrected, and now you can be rightly restored to a relationship with God through means of the great, of God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ, then you enter into the family of God. It is made up of white, black, brown, rich, poor, tall, short, educated, uneducated. That's God's church. Jesus redefines family, not based on biology, but based on those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. The church is a family. And there is always a seat at the table for those who have placed their faith in Christ. Always a seat at the table. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of this. I want you to meet a friend of mine. This is Mickey Frederick. Uh, Mickey is a good friend, and um, to hear him tell his story, if you were to ask him, hey, what is the church? The first thing he's gonna tell you, the church is a family. Because Mickey grew up with four dads. Four dads. When uh, he was six years old, um, his biological father left him. His mama loved him, but he never got over the wound his father created in his life, picking up and walking out of his home. Not long after that, his mom remarried, and um, that, that man became like a real father to Mickey. But tragically, when he was in high school, his stepfather literally died in his arms suddenly, and he buried who he called his dad. Since that time, he's had two more stepdads. And I was just talking to Mickey this week and talking to him about the church. And what does the church mean to you? How, what do you think church is? And he said, Blake, let me just tell you something. In this church, in the family of God, I have been reparented. I've, I've had men who have mentored me, have shown me what it means to be a godly husband, a godly father, how to lead my company. Men have changed my life, coming alongside me, showing me all that God intends for me. He's grateful to be a part of the family of God, not just attending on a Sunday. You see, church, when you talk to Mickey, church is so much more than just a club for bored adults. It's the place where he is experienced the hands and feet of Christ, those who have ministered to him, cared for his family, loved him. Church is a family. 
Mickey is now leading within our church. And on the Dallas campus, I should just tell you quickly that um, he's now our first, what we're calling our first campus shepherd. If you were at the elders night a few, uh, several weeks ago, you, you know what I mean by that. If you don't know what I mean by that, then I would encourage you to check it out. Go back and listen to what we mean. But, but he is a, playing a significant leadership role on this particular campus, just like their campus shepherds in Fort Worth and Plano and Frisco. It's the first time for us as Dallas where we felt like this really makes sense. He's serving alongside our elders, alongside our Dallas leadership team, and increasing our span of care. Do you know everyone in our church who's in community has a community group leader who's connected to a community group director who's connected to someone within leadership so that we can care for every individual within our church? Every individual. And Mickey's playing a role like that. He went from a place of isolation and rebellion to an integral part of this family. I wonder how many of you are experiencing that. The church is not just a family, it is a body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Do you you hear the metaphor? Jesus is the head. And we all play a significant role, meaning we all have our own part to play in the body, just like my hand plays a part. My nose plays a part. My ears play a part. That's the argument Paul's making. And he says, when God's people come together, when they become part, when they believe in Jesus Christ, they become part of the body and every part is useful. I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose my left hand. I don't want to lose my nose and my hand's different from my nose. And God has given every one of you a unique gift to function within the body, to further the kingdom of Christ, to further the gospel. That's the role you play. Church is not just a service. The church is not a building, an address. Church is the people. Church is a family. Church is a body. I want you to meet Jeff and Kirsten Selby. I had so much fun talking to them on the phone this week. I, their names were given to me. I was just asking people on our, on our staff. I was going, hey, I'm talking about the church and um, And I want you to introduce me to people. I don't want to just get up here and talk about the friends I know. And several people go, well, you got to know the Selbies, man. And I called and I just talked to them. And Jeff and Kirsten have been serving in this church, loving kids. They took a group of kids, Jeff guys, Kirsten girls, right, when they were in Crossroads 45. Those same kids now, nine years later, are seniors in high school. And because of Jeff and Kirsten's faithfulness, right, not just showing up and handing out goldfish and making sure kids play safe with each other, they have invested their lives in the next generation of leaders. Nine years 
nine years. And Jeff said, Blake, here's the crazy thing. The more we've served, we have gotten more out of this than our, the kids within our groups ever have. The church has become smaller. I'm now more confident how God's wired me, gifted me. I'm watching God transform people's lives. It's the greatest privilege. And they now have three kids of their own over those nine years. And here's what's crazy that Kirsten added, that I go, that, that's crazy. It, it, this is not just show up every other month. This is weekly. This is retreats. And she said, hey, you know, what's even crazy, just fitting along with the body analogy is, is that I think, and I'm being conservative, I think we personally have paid for our babysitters for our own kids no more than 15 times over those nine years. And the reason is because is the people in our community group and the people who go to Watermark, they say, hey, I, I can't, I'm not able because of gifting and time and margin and all those things to do what you're doing, but I can certainly help take care of your kids. That is the body of Christ. They're not just showing up playing church. They're serving as the hands and feet of Christ. And I'm wondering how many people in here are experiencing church like this or know the joy of serving and getting a front row seat of God's transforming work. Church is a flock made up of sheep. First Peter 5 says this, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, saying to the elders, you are a shepherd. And guess what that makes us? Sheep. And I don't know if you know much about sheep, but sheep are prone to wander. Sheep need constant care and attention. And sheep need correction. Jesus is the chief shepherd. That's how he's described later on in this passage. And it's clear, he goes on to say, that we are called to humble ourselves and be open to the correction and the accountability and the admonishment of the church because we are prone to wander. I want you to meet Russ Robertson. I loved getting to know Russ better this week. I was talking to him. Russ, uh, years ago, was a leader in our church, leading in Regen, and, um, and then Russ began uh, really to start taking some steps to, to live in a way which was inconsistent with what he was professing. Started dating in a way that was um, not what Scripture is called him to. And he had friends, thankfully, who loved him enough to tell him the truth. Hey, Russ, I love you. I'm not mad at you. But, but what you're doing, Rob, the choices you're making, that's, that's inconsistent with what you profess in your baptism. That's inconsistent with what God's word says. It's inconsistent with what a follower of Christ says they believe. And Russ resented it. He resented their admonition. And he goes, you know what? I don't need y'all's help. I don't wanna be judged by you. And so he spent some time, a season of rebellion and running and left the church. Just stiffened his neck and left. And his words to me were, Blake, here's the deal. I tried to go to other churches. I tried to numb the pain. But here's the deal. I was starving for authentic, accountable, real relationships like I experienced at Watermark. I was playing church. I was going to the weekly club. But I was not part of the church. 
And so I came home. I called those same guys who loved me enough to tell me the truth. And I said, hey, I wanna, I wanna come home. And every one of those guys put their arms around me and said, come on, man, we love you. And he thanked them for having the courage to tell him the truth. Russ is now leading his fifth regeneration group, his fifth group. He's a leader within this church, serving as a community group shepherd, serving in a variety of ways. Gang, this is so countercultural to our way of thinking. Care and correction, admonishment, accountability, church discipline. We just bristle at that whole concept. It's so foreign to us. But you need to know that church discipline is a completely biblical idea. If you don't believe me, look at Matthew 18. I so many passages. It's always motivated by love. You've got to understand that. It's not punitive. It's always motivated by love. It shows love for the individual that he or she might be warned and brought back to repentance. Russ, this is not gonna go well for you. And sure enough, it didn't. And he has the scars and the pain to tell you about it. It shows love for the church that weaker sheep might be protected. It shows love for the watching world that it might see Christ's transforming power. And it shows love for Christ that churches might uphold his holy name and obey him. And gang, the, the sad fact of the matter is too few churches practice care and correction. And because of that, your neighbor and the foes that you're speaking to in inviting to church, their first response is the church is full of hypocrites, full of hypocrisy. Why would I wanna go there? I see people practicing one thing and saying another all the time. And they're right. Because no one lovingly comes alongside us to say, hey man, that's not consistent with what scripture says. And I'm gonna love you enough to tell you the truth. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy, Proverbs teaches. Gang, let me be clear. To take, remove all mystery, I have been under church discipline several times a week. Several times a week. Hey, Blake, that wasn't your best moment. Hey, Blake, you always have to have the last word. Hey, Blake, temper was right there. Hey, Blake, I'm gonna love you enough to tell you, but I just, the, I just look prideful. And I pray that I always clothe myself in humility enough to go, thank you. But I've been in the room where it's taken a few people to gang tackle me. Because in my stubborn rebellion, I think, well, it's a personality problem or you don't like me. And people have lovingly helped me see the log in my eye. Do you, do, are you experiencing that when you think of church? Is anybody in your life love you enough to tell you the truth? Anyone? Are you experiencing church as family, body, or flock? Too few of us are. The church is an embassy. I love this metaphor. This is my favorite one. The church is an embassy. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's what we have, is ambassadors for Christ. Look what it says, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors. 
We live in an embassy. We are on mission. We represent the king of kings and we have his message and we serve at his pleasure. We are ambassadors for Christ, equipped for every good work. And God is making his appeal through us in this broken, fallen, dark world. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see the image there? You are an ambassador. Jesus is the king of kings. You've been given a message. You are to live differently. You are to live as an alien, as a stranger. People should look at you and say, man, what is different about you? The way you date, the way you spend money, the way you relate to people, the way you serve, what you value, what you find entertaining. That's crazy. To which we go, yeah, let me tell you what God has done in my heart. And if that's not happening, if people aren't looking at you going, bro, you represent something different. I've just got to ask you, are you part of God's church? I'm just reading scripture. Are you an ambassador for Christ? I want you to meet Brian Kelly. I had so much fun talking to Brian on the phone this week. And there's so, guys, I, was, I, was, I had more stories, more people that I wanted to talk to than I could get to. It's happening all the time. Brian Kelly told me his story. Brian was convicted of murder and spent 22 years in prison. While in prison, he trusted in Jesus Christ and someone told him about Watermark. And in God's provision, he was in a halfway house not far from here. He dressed up one Sunday morning in July, um, many years ago, and in a coat and tie, and he started walking here. And there was a couple that saw him walking who pulled up, who happened to be members of Watermark, right? They pull up and they go, hey man, are you, do you need a ride? Are you going to church? And he goes, yeah, actually I am. He goes, well, what church you go to? And he goes, well, I'm going to this place called Watermark. And they go, well, that's where we go. Get in the car, we'll take you. So he jumps in the car and, of course, probably didn't notice at first when they, were, they pulled up to talk to him, but Brian had an ankle bracelet on, right? And what's funny talking to Brian, which is hilarious, he says to me, he goes, you know, Blake, when they pulled up and they started talking to me, I mean, they were strangers and I was kind of nervous getting in the car with them. <laughs> I go, hold on. Wait a minute, you're a convicted murderer, Brian. You killed someone. Yeah, yeah, I know. It seems strange, doesn't it? But I was nervous. And we just laughed. This guy's life has been transformed. He came to Watermark, and I kid you not, on that particular Sunday, Todd was preaching and talking about the grace of God, what the church is, how there is always a place for those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ. And he said, I don't care if you've murdered someone. You cannot out the love of God. And Brian goes, this is the place for me. He's since gotten plugged in and he is the tip of the spear in leading our effort to minister to men and women in prison. There's over a thousand people in his program, inmates, over 300 volunteers. He speaks at churches everywhere and he is a member of this church. He is an ambassador for Christ. How many people are just showing up on a weekly basis right? Checking the box, going through the motions, but you're not experiencing that kind of life change. Many of us, many of us. 
My call, my challenge to you is to commit to a local church where membership matters. And let me be really clear. I don't care if it's this one. I really don't. But find a church where they preach the gospel. They hold to the care and correction of their members where you see baptism, the Lord's Supper, and godly leaders in place. Find a local church. This is not about increasing the roles here. I could care less. Our membership goes to zero every year. Every year. Because we don't want people just to have their name on a roll or some database somewhere. We want to care for people. Membership matters here. I hear people say all the time, you know, Blake, church doesn't talk about, or the Bible doesn't talk about church membership. It doesn't say, join a local church. I wanna be really clear. Church membership is not man's idea. It is assumed throughout all of scripture. It's just simply assumed. It's just a given. If you don't believe me, consider the church's leadership structure. Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Do you, do you hear that? The leaders of the church will one day stand before God. If my Bible is true, Hebrews 13, the elders of this church will stand before God and give an account for how they shepherded every member in this church. What an awesome and terrible privilege. Without membership, to whom are the elders accountable for shepherding before God? How does this, how does this passage even make sense? That membership is just assumed through the one another passages of scripture. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another toward love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day of drawing near. Without membership, gang, it just doesn't make any sense. To whom are we called to meet with on a regular basis and to encourage? There's dozens of one another passages. Membership's assumed through the care of the church. If you look at 1 Timothy 5, it talks about the care of the widows and those who are vulnerable amongst us and those who are enrolled in the qualifications of the vulnerable widows who should be enrolled to be cared for by the church. Without membership, how do the widows' enrollment, how does that make any sense? Membership's assumed through the correction of the church. 1 Corinthians 5 says this, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among believers. For a man's father has his wife. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed among you. Paul's not playing around. He's saying you got a guy in your church making a mockery of the gospel and you're just turning a deaf ear to it, a blind eye. You don't even care. And people are mocking the gospel. Do something about it. Without membership, how do we practice care and correction? And I've spent the majority of this time talking about the metaphors of the church, which just simply imply church membership. Think about the family. 
right? How does the family metaphor make any sense? Unless we become a people who commit to one another. It's like me going to my wife, Rebecca, when we were dating and going, hey, Rebecca, I love you. I wanna spend the rest of my life with you. I wanna get married. I just want nothing to do with your family. It's gonna go over really well. You just don't have that option with Jesus. Study your Bible. See what Jesus says about family. You don't get Jesus without his church. You don't get Jesus without his family. To join a church, gang, is is to, in effect, or um, to not, rather, to not join a church is to, in effect, say this. I don't wanna be a part of his family. I I would rather be orphaned. That's really what it means. I I don't wanna be a part of his body. I'd rather be dismembered. I I don't wanna be a part of his flock. Just let me be isolated. I don't wanna be a part of his kingdom. Just let me be exiled. I wanna read to you... um, An email I received from one member who leads, who leads our membership process on our Frisco campus. And he said this, it's a little long, just bear with me. He says this, as an individual recovering from a faith anchored on performance-based acceptance, pursuing membership and being fully known was the last thing I wanted to do. I was a professional Christian activity box checker. But membership, being accountable to others, Give me any other spiritual quota to complete but that one. In fact, it took six years of regularly attending Watermark to faithfully respond to the call of membership. I was believing the lie that I was a strong Christian and proud of the fact that I was doing it without a community of believers surrounding me. This false sense of godliness magnified my struggle with pride, anger, and lust, leaving a wake of broken friendships in the ethos of loving things and using people. Since being a member, I've grown day after day and more and more in my knowledge of and love of Christ and his people. I'm fully known and loved by his community that continually reminds me to pursue Christ by devoting daily, pursuing others relationally, counseling biblically, living authentically, admonishing faithfully, and engaging missionally. Show me someone who thinks they can grow in their love for God and others without being connected to his body and I'll show you a friend who needs to hear the sobering truth that the faith they think they have in Christ is in fact a faith in only themselves. Man, at Watermark Gang, we covenant to believe in the essential doctrines of the inspiration of scripture, the Trinity, the sinfulness of humanity, the full deity and humanity of Christ and his bodily resurrection, salvation by grace through faith alone and the return of Jesus Christ. Every member here and every year we reaffirm our belief in that. Every year in our 4B form. We say, hey, I still believe in those things unapologetically. And that's what unites us. Every believer here says, hey, I wanna belong to his body by living in authentic community. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna pursue relationally, engage missionally, devote daily. They say they're gonna be trained by God's truth by growing in an understanding and application of his word. And they commit to living or to being strong in a life of godliness and worship. That's what it means to be a member here at Watermark. 
to believe, belong, be trained, be strong. The four B's. And every year, we just say, hey, do you want, do you want back in? Do you, do, you, do you want to continue to do this? And tragically, every year, there's, there's several people like, eh, I don't care. Not me, maybe, not really. And I hear it. I hear people go, ah, oh, 4B for him. I'm like, hey, man, do you recommit to your gym? Well, yeah. If you make it a priority to recommit to your gym, what about your church? To make this a little more lighthearted, I love the Babylon Bee. You know, are you familiar with the Babylon Bee? By the way, it's all satire. It's crazy how many people read something on the Babylon Bee and then forward it thinking it's true. These, these are jokes. Please. All right. I love this. It says this. Local man Tim Rubido has refused to join a local gym, claiming instead that his membership is in the invisible universal gym. And that should be enough to get him into shape. Yeah, I'm not really into the whole organized fitness thing, he told reporters, stating that he's been burned a few times by gyms that didn't cater to his every whim. I'm into fitness, but I'm not a religious about it. He also launched into a long diatribe about the hypocrisy of other people he sees at the gym who are working out but aren't perfectly fit yet. That really turned me off, the whole institutional exercise thing. It's just not for me. Rubido states that he simply exercises on his own time whenever he feels like it. With no discipline routine or partners to keep him accountable, nature is my gym. At publishing time, sources have been able to confirm that Rubido hasn't exercised in 14 years. <laughs> I like it. Gang, I'm calling you to commit to a local church where membership matters. I hope it's this one. But if it's not, find a church. Quit church shopping. Quit playing the game that is so common in Dallas. And whatever you do, please don't make the deal. And you've heard Todd talk about this many times and it's in his book. The deal goes like this. Basically, the deal goes like this. Members agree to validate pastors and leaders by showing up fairly regularly and agreeing to pay enough offerings to keep the lights on and keep the weekly activity of church operational. In return, pastors agree to preach civil, encouraging, self-help life messages, never asking too much of those attending. And they both tell each other that they are doing what God wants them to do. It's terrible. I, I, I don't wanna be a part of a church like that. I'm not giving my life to that. And I don't think you want that. And if you're not experiencing the church as family, body, embassy, and a flock, then you're missing out on what God intends for you. You just are. And so I implore you to consider what scripture teaches. I wanna introduce you to one more friend or friends. I want you to meet the Stevensons. This is Hugh and Amy Stevenson's story. Let's watch this. I'm Amy. I'm married to Hugh. We've been married about 33 and a half years. 
We met on a blind date in college. I'm originally from Atlanta and moved back to Dallas uh, in 2004. And we have three adult children, Tori, Jack, and Thomas. My identity, perfect mom syndrome. I read a lot of self-help books, trying to do it right, and I really didn't want any input from Hugh. I really shut him out. Uh, I kept telling myself everything's fine. You know, we have the house, we have the kids, we have the job, we have the stuff. You know, we go to church, we do these things. So from the outside looking in, everything seemed okay, but there was, a, there was an underlying sense that I really was on the wrong track. I had very high expectations of myself. Fear and anxiety controlled me. I would withdraw into my study at home and medicate myself with alcohol and porn. The first major wake-up call for me came the night of December 10th, 2010. I stayed out all night partying and drinking with a friend, and I found myself at 3 o'clock in the morning on the, on the side of the road with no way to get home. And at 3.30 in the morning, my phone rang, and it was Amy. Uh, and I told her where I was, and she came and got me, and I spent three days in bed recovering from that binge. Everything that I had wanted to work for in my life was really hanging by a thread. In 2012, we had a major family crisis. We had no foundation, despite having gone to church for 20 years. I, I didn't know where to turn. In the midst of our family crisis, one of our sons, who was a believer, said, I'm going to go to Watermark, and if you want to go with me, that's where I'm going. We went to the service there, sat way up in the back, and I remember John Abel saying from the stage, welcome to Watermark. We're a lost and broken people. We're glad you're here. And I had never heard anything like that at a church. We saw people's lives transformed, and we knew we wanted that. We knew that was a relationship with Christ. We wanted that. How did we get that? I started pursuing God's Word myself because I wanted to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that I saw so many others have. We started going to Regeneration, Watermark's recovery ministry, and we saw people who were authentic and dealing with their sin struggles. Food addiction, which I was dealing with, I had a desire for ease and comfort. I was controlling, and I had major pride issues. I realized that I was out of control, and I prayed, and I told God that I surrendered. I couldn't cure myself, and I was surrendering to Him. My blaming everybody else for the problems in my life was wrong. And I love the saying of drawing the circle around yourself and change everything inside the circle. And that's the message that I heard over and over and over again. And I knew that through God's word, God's spirit, and God's people, that I would learn how to have my new life in Christ that I'd always wanted and would give me the joy and abundance that God had planned for me. I started to see the changes in Hugh, but Frankly, I was a little skeptical at first because I had seen some of these changes before. Um, but over time, he was, I saw he was a different person. He began to ask for forgiveness for things. He wanted to pray together in the morning. Would ask me, how can I love and serve you today? Over time, I saw how God transformed him into a godly man and I wanted to follow him. And now we're a team. What Amy and I have learned in this journey is that God is who He says He is. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and He has a plan for our life that's better than our own. Man. I hear that. There's so many hues out there going to church. Did you hear that? 20 years of going to church.
20 years. And he was miserable. Alcoholic, addicted to porn, wrecking his family, wrecking his marriage. And no one loved him to tell him the truth until someone, his own son said, I'm going to Watermark. And this isn't about a Watermark thing. I don't wanna, I, I, save your emails. It's not about Watermark. It's about the church, okay? It's about the church. And Hugh happened to walk in this place and he said, hey, I'm gonna be really honest with you. I just heard Watermark was a cult from the very beginning and I wasn't going there. But then it was undeniable that people's lives were being changed and they were calling me to something. And I couldn't just keep playing church and it changed my life. And so I don't know if you're experiencing church like you've heard me explain, but if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your one and only savior and you aren't experiencing that, you are not experiencing all that God intends for you. You're just not. And so I invite you. I invite you to come. Come September 8th, October 6th, or one day, November 2nd, where we spend a whole day going through all three classes together, and you can knock it out in one shot. And come and be a part of a local church where membership matters. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word and the clarity in which it speaks. I thank you for each one's name, Lord, that I mentioned today for their transparent, um, courageous faith in you. Father, I thank you that they are serving as the family, the body, the flock, the embassy. I thank you, Lord, that we're in a church where we don't just talk about life change, but Lord, we're, we're able to read about it every week in the Watermark News. And it's not because of Watermark, it's because of your spirit that is alive and active. Lord, I pray that those, Lord, who, as were surveyed in the LifeWay survey I mentioned before, who are in this room, who just simply don't believe that, I, I pray, Lord, that they would wrestle with your word, wrestle with your scriptures. Not with me, but with what your word says. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen the faith and the heart of those, Lord, who are actively participating in this church, that we would be a light in the city of Dallas. Thank you for the many ways people are serving all over this world and using their gifts because they're a part of this body and how that has ministered to me, how my family has been transformed by the faithfulness of the members here and the leaders in this church. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen.